Hey, this is Devin Boker, and you're listening to The Wildlife. It's the official podcast of the nonprofit with a mission to interrupt systemic barriers of exclusion through free educational content, experiences, and funding for youth programs and professional development, all in alignment with anti-racist values in order to make the outdoors and science a more inclusive, safe, and accessible place. If you'd like to learn more about the organization, you can visit thewildlife.blog. And if you'd like to support us, you can do that following one of the links in the episode notes. Become a monthly supporter at uh, patreon.com slash the wildlife and get a bunch of perks with that too. Now, before I get to it, um, as I just said, the, the wildlife is also a nonprofit organization and um, everything that we do is really dependent on your support and in our community. And when I say community, I mean, I mean, not just supporters or people who financially support, but like you, the person listening right now, um, people who interact with us on social media. I mean, you are, you are the backbone of this whole thing. You help to, uh, to grow the community. You help to, to increase visibility and, um, all of those things in turn help to grow support for the nonprofit side of things, which enable us to actually hopefully work towards fulfilling our mission. So wherever you're listening, um, just consider it to take a moment of your time, uh, leave a rating, leave a review. It sounds like extra work. I know. Um, believe me, I, I don't like being asked it myself, but I wouldn't ask if it wasn't impactful. Plus it just gives us some uh, idea of how we're doing and, and what we could do better. Also share, share with a friend, you know, send, send an episode around to uh, a colleague or, or your grandma or your coworker or that guy that you ran into at quick trip the other day, you know, whoever, every little thing helps. And, um, for those of you who, who, who do it, thank you. For those of you who don't, honestly, still thank you because you're listening right now, and uh, I appreciate that. All right, so today is, uh, well, it's one of our behind the scenes, behind the science. I haven't, haven't really figured out how to say that out loud. I just, okay, so here's the thing. I noticed at some point not too long ago that um, the word science has the word scene. This is in it. Science is, has scenes in it, and um did a whole wordplay thing of like behind the scenes. Haha, <laughs> it's behind the sciences. Anyway, it started as a as a uh, a minor extra type thing, a, a way of being able to put out a, a little bit more content and um, shortening bits and pieces of of information so that um, if people didn't want to listen to full portions of episodes of things or if they wanted to skip past it in in the main full episode, then they could. They had another place that they could listen. And it's kind of evolving. Um, to I don't know. Um, <laughs> we're kind of looking for your feedback on this. Uh, this this guest in particular um, is extraordinary. I, I cannot say more positive things about her as a person, um, as a professional, as as uh, an expert in her field, as a skilled interviewee. Um, she was really the full the full package for, for, uh, for this whole thing. Um, so 
Okay, so she is a uh, she's an expert of many things, but what we specifically sat down to talk to her about was dragonflies and damselflies. This is one of those interviews where if you've listened to the show for a while, you you know that there's a little there's a little uh, sometimes we cut in to elaborate or commentate on things um, more and sometimes less. And sometimes, and this is not a dig at anyone we've ever interviewed, I just want to be very clear about that. Sometimes it's out of necessity and uh, and in and, and interpreting information that's really complicated or maybe wasn't super clear or where there's just a lot of other minutia to, to filter through. Um, and then, and then we get people like like this who are just so eloquent and skillful at at uh, communicating the information, and and not just in a complicated way, but in a in a multitude of ways, um, it, at multiple tiers of complexity that make it make sense. You know what I mean? Um, that that is this guest in particular. And as much as I want to give her a, a, an astounding intro, well, really, that's kind of what this whole bit is for. It's to get to know her, Dr. Jessica L. Ware, before the main episode all about dragonflies and damselflies comes out later this week. Um, now, here's that part where we're looking for some feedback. Typically, we put this out, but then we also include this in the main episode, Um but if you've listened to this and maybe you don't want to listen to that again in the main episode, in which case I suppose you could skip past it. Either way, there's a little problem of redundancy. So do we just do this on its own and then not include this in the uh, in the primary episode um, at all whatsoever? Or, or do we continue doing both? I don't know. You tell me. You tell me. I have too many decisions to make at any given time. You, you can you can take one off my off my hands. Thank you. So now I'm going to shut up so you can listen to, again, Dr. Jessica Elware. Okay, okay. So um, I have to say I've been I've been really excited to talk to you for an abundance of reasons, not just because of dragonflies, but because you're awesome and. Um, you do so many different things and, and, and at so many different, like just levels of esteem. That's just awesome. And, um, I, I think, I think a lot of people are going to like you. Um, I mean, people already do, but I mean, like our listeners, thank you. <laughs> thank yeah. you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, I, you're the associate curator of Odinata and non, and I, I learned this word yesterday and I feel like I'm going to mess it up. Holometabulous, holometabulous. Yeah, it's 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 a mouthful. It, that's a good yeah. scrabble word if you could if you could fit <laughs> it on the board. But yeah, I'm well. I'm assistant curator of uh, invertebrate zoology, but the okay. insect. So they have us kind of in charge of different sections of sure. the collection because there's millions of of, yeah. of insects in the collection. So I'm responsible for the non-holometabolous insects, and those are the ones mm -hmm. that like broadly defined, you know, don't have complete metamorphosis. So they're the ones that have sure. quote unquote incomplete metamorphosis. And yeah. those are things like grasshoppers and crickets and cockroaches and, you know, um, dragonflies, of course, mm -hmm. uh, flea, uh, like snow fleas, like grillo bladodians, which is not a commonly 
loved insect, but many Canadians <laughs> know it because it's sure. really, they're really common on glaciers in, in Canada. Things like that. <laughs> sure. Yeah, we um uh, yesterday um, talked to somebody about spittle bugs and, and oh, frog hoppers, and uh, that came up. They're in this group. Yeah, they came up, and we were, we were fascinated by by a lot of that. And and then I brought up, I was like, oh, we're talking about dragonflies tomorrow, and I'm pretty sure that they fit in the same category. So um, that's awesome. Uh, you also so that's at the American Museum of Natural History, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I started there January first. January first. So pretty recent, but it's well. Okay, maybe not. It's, I mean, it's July. This year is weird. <laughs> I know this year is weird. Time flies. I was a professor at Rutgers for 10 years, and then um, I started at the museum July 1st, but the museum, you know, has been closed yeah, due to the pandemic uh, for a large part of my time there now, which is wild. <laughs> but I was a postdoc also at the museum, so I feel like it's oh, very sure. familiar. So what is, what is time? I mean, how do you fill your time now as compared to what it might look like after things end? whenever that that's might a, end up being. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, in the summer, I think this is true for a lot of entomologists. Yeah. We spend a lot of time out collecting. Um, sure. So uh, this is the time when most insects are doing their adult things, you know, they're mating, mm -hmm. reproducing, you know, re reproduction is a really big part of the summer, dispersing, feeding. So it's a good time to go out and beef up your collection and, and make observations about behavior or life history strategies or collect eggs or whatever it is that yeah. you want to do. So yeah. this is usually what we do anyways in the summer, but certainly now it's, it's even easier because there's not <laughs> a lot of, you know, uh, need to to schedule a bunch of in-person meetings at sure, in your office yeah. or whatever, and yeah. then put in your field work. Now you can just pretty much do field work all the time if you wanted to, but it is tricky because some of the places that we would normally go to, I uh, have a, like a long you know multi-year experiment going on in Canada, mm. and I haven't been able to go, um, so that's kind of a drag you know to yeah. this these years this year's data. Um, but you know the the day-to-day -day part of going out to collect dragonflies, that part is the same now as it ever was and hopefully as it ever will be so <laughs> fingers crossed yeah yeah it's weird I, in some ways i feel like things haven't changed a whole lot in in my personal life because i i spend so much time just kind of outside and stuff and i'm like well i'm doing the same thing but there's like a weird element to it where it just yeah there's just a weird haze <laughs> kind of over everything a weird shadow and it's just for yeah. sure yeah. Well, I think all dragonfly meet, there's a dragonfly society of the Americas and mm -hmm. they meet uh, regionally and nationally every year. And for whatever reason, I think maybe because of this one particular couple that happens to like ice cream a lot, um, <laughs> who have been part of this society for a long time, but for whatever reason, we almost always get ice cream at dragonfly collecting events. So then <laughs> I started doing that with my lab. So whenever we go places to collect anywhere in the world, we always get ice cream at the end. But now, because of the pandemic, it feels like, oh, maybe we shouldn't go get ice cream because we don't really <laughs> want to be going. Wait, spending time in the woods is one thing where you're not really around people. But yeah. um, having to go into a town and having to go into a store to get ice cream isn't really possible. So it, that part definitely feels like it's collecting, but it's without this, like we've become used to our brain, like it's a Pavlovian thing now. When you go collecting dragonflies, Man, you get an ice cream, ice cream at the end. And now we have to go home and get our own ice cream in our own kitchens, which is That's less funny. fun. <laughs> um and you're so you're the uh president-elect of the entomological society of america and the president of the worldwide dragonfly association right which yeah. is which is pretty cool and, and, and by chance i'm just kind of curious um, do you happen to know kurt mead in Minnesota? oh yeah 
Okay. Actually, I do. So I met him at my first Dragonfly Society of the Americas mm-hmm. meeting that I ever went to, which was in Iowa. It was organized by Steve Hummel and Kurt Mead was giving away a copy of his book. He had just written a book yeah. um, and it was going, uh, I forget what, I don't remember whether it was like an official contest or what, but mm-hmm. everyone was trying to get this one dragonfly called Styluris. Um, and I was a newbie at this. I was a new collector mm-hmm. and I had gone out with my advisor, Mike May, and I saw this dragonfly and I thought, gee, that looks kind of special. <laughs> I think I'm just going <laughs> to swing for it. And I got it and it was Styluris and Nicola. And then everyone goes back, you know, and shows what they caught. And everyone was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. I can't believe you got Styluris and Nicola. And so Kurt uh, autographed his book saying, you are the and Nicola champ. And I still have it. I still have it in my, my, my bookshop of all my dragonfly field guides. That's awesome. I, I yeah. asked because um, I used to be a naturalist for the Department of Natural Resources in Minnesota. And, and so was Kurt. And so we worked together and, and he, you know, we, we connected a few different times in different trainings and things. I mean, he's up on the North Shore more, um, mm-hmm. but we've, we've stayed in touch and stuff. And, you know, he, he's got a lot of passion for this. And so I was curious if 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 you happen to know of him so apparently yes that's cool yeah he was very <laughs> encouraging to me as the when i was a graduate student um to, you know, to, to do this this job so yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for his positivity for sure yeah that's awesome mm-hmm. so so what is your what has your journey been like as far as you know deciding to study um entomology and and what advice would you have for other people who are either aspiring to be entomologists or just scientists in general well, it's a good question. I mean, how how does one sustain their kind of innate curiosity yeah. about the natural world and turn it into a job? Mm-hmm. It certainly wasn't something that I thought you could do. I didn't, I mean, I didn't know any entomologists growing up. Um, and I happened to have a family friend that suggested that since I like to spend a lot of time um, in the lake, you know, looking at fish and stuff like that underwater, that maybe I should go into oceanography, which is what he said. Mm-hmm. So I actually went to UBC to do oceanography. And when I got there, they said, oh, you know, this is like waves and physics and stuff. I think you mean marine <laughs> biology. You're in the wrong discipline. So that was kind of funny. So then I, I, qu- I quickly switched to marine uh, biology, but that meant a lot of invertebrate classes, which got me on to, to insects and into entomology. Sure. So I think that's true for a lot of us. I mean, many people that I know started out, you know, from a really young age, knowing mm-hmm. they wanted to be an entomologist. But a lot of us don't. A lot of us kind of come to entomology because we had some sort of curiosity about the natural world, but we weren't necessarily sure which organism to kind of focus or to devote our kind mm-hmm. of life's work to. Sure. Um, and I think that the advice that I would give to people is that if you if you're in that boat and you're not necessarily tied, you know, you wanted to study penguins your whole life and that's your jam, then yeah. study penguins. But if you're not exactly sure, if you like biology, if you like the aspects of the scientific method, if you like, you know, going outdoors and doing things in nature, studying entomology is a terrific pursuit because um, while it's true that there always is going to be a need for entomologists, a lot of the need is more around medical and veterinary entomology or pest integrated pest management because that's what kind of make sure that we have food safety and food crops, mm-hmm. you know, to, to sustain humanity. And there's less of a, you know, super drive, I would say, for people who study evolution or ecology or behavior. Yeah. But nonetheless, I think those positions, like those types of entomological pursuits are becoming more and more in fashion. I mean, these things have kind of ebbed and, you know, there's been yeah. 
high numbers and low numbers of taxonomists over the years. But one thing that stayed the same is that we don't have enough. We don't have enough people yeah. doing these jobs. So I think now is a good time in particular to, to get into this field because people are aware that there's a large number of insect species that are in decline. They're aware that habitats are changing and climate is changing in a way that is affecting community dynamics. Um, mm -hmm. And they're aware, I think people are more aware now than ever, the role that insects play in influencing the things that matter, i.e. bring money in, right? Like people. Yeah. Yeah. So like insects play a really big role in making sure that we stay, we as humans, um, stay in the lifestyle to which we've become accustomed. Um, and so with all of those things in mind, I think now is a great time to get into this, this business. And mm -hmm. then as just from a personal note, I mean, getting into entomology, especially if you happen to do evolutionary biology or ecology, um, means that if you are the type of person that was always wanting to be outside, that was running around, getting your fingers dirty and, you know, um, or in the case of dragonflies, you know, standing in, in a lake or in a <laughs> pond or a stream or whatever, going fishing, you get to do that every day for your job. And that I think yeah. is, is remarkable. It's, it's such yeah. a lucky, lucky, <laughs> lucky job to have, you know, <laughs> to be able to on a hot summer's day, um, your field, the whole world is your field, you know, and you're, yeah. and that's your office and you get to be outside. So it's, it's a really terrific, it's a really terrific job. <laughs> I can't yeah. say enough good things about being an entomologist. <laughs> it does seem, it does seem uh, pretty great. My, my problem was um, I'm, I'm, too, I'm too excited about too many things and I can never really get in like focus on, on one particular thing. I just wildlife. Okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, in so many ways, I mean, the things that we might be interested in studying for dragonflies might be similar to what someone who's studying lions is studying or, mm -hmm. you know, ospreys or something. I mean, in a lot of ways, there's these red threads that kind of tie everything yeah. together. Yeah. Um, you can see that. So uh, from from what I see in, um, I mean, just in a lot of different things, just uh, previous work, um, uh, March for Science a few years back, um, your social media, you, you're really active in encouraging women, um, people of color, really underrepresented groups to, to become entomologists or, or to get involved in science, which uh, is really incredibly important. And, and one of the things that, and with several of our guests lately where we've gotten into some kind of deep conversations and things is you know part of the part of the piece of underrepresentation in fact a, a very large part of it is a lot of the isms right there's there's a lot of systemic barriers of exclusion that keep people out and um, um, you know whether actively or just you know set up in a system that does not work for people who are not you know white dudes and um, so what's what's your advice for people in light of that because um, it's you know we've talked to a few people lately who you know, they said, you know, yeah, you know, take every opportunity, but that doesn't really answer that piece. So, yeah, yeah. What what is your advice to people um, in light of that reality, uh, who who want to get into science and who want to make a career of it? Well, um, it, it, I mean, the strategy what's the strategy of what works for you is going to vary depending mm -hmm. on the person and the region and and the aspect of of entomology that you're in. Uh, but certainly for me, I think having finding mentors who were going to be able to support me and all of me, like all of who I yeah. am, all of who, you know, my personality would be, my family, whatever. Yeah. Um, finding mentors was invaluable because 
invariably like you will encounter racism you will encounter sexism you will see you know either witness or experience homophobia you will you will that's not it's not that it's an if it's a when so what Mm -hmm. you want at least what worked for me was to have this kind of um support system Sure. Uh, that could offer, you know, guidance when things like that happened, that could offer, you know, a, a counterbalance, a counterpoint. So when my inner voice was saying, oh, I don't belong here, there were people that could say, yes, you do belong here. Uh, we would like to, you know, see you do this. Do you yeah. want to work on this paper with me? I'd love to collaborate with you. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of help, help, you know, build um, sort of a community, a sense of community. Um, mm-hmm. Having Having mentors really allowed me to to stay, to stick it out when, when things were, were, were tricky. Yeah, yeah. The question of course is how do you find a good mentor? And that is a <laughs> difficult one because it is in, in some respects, you know, you, you need to be proactive and you need to really search out and not be afraid to ask for mentorship. But on right. the other hand, not everybody is trained in how to mentor students. Um, and there are a lot of people who might try and be a mentor to you who may not be able to meet your needs. And, so, and you may need to have mentors, a variety of them, to speak to the different aspects of your lived experience that they can support you, you know, about. Yeah. Um, and, and I certainly think that, um, as, especially as, as people of color in, in, in this business, it's going to be some sort of intersectional, you know, um, identity that, yeah. that, you know, probably is going to require multiple different people um, yeah. to advocate for you, at, you know, throughout your career. So if you can find those people and nurture those relationships, um, I think you'll, I think you'll find it easier. You know, I think you'll definitely find it easier when, when those hurdles do pop up, um, it's, it'll be easier to kind of, to, to overcome them is what I would say. Sure. So, so when was it for you that you, that you kind of, uh, focused in on, on your, your particular area? Well, um, I really was undecided about what my area would be. Um, and in part, I guess it kind of goes back to the question you were just asking. I mean, I was kind of, uh, not really raised to think that, um, and not by no fault of my, my parents or family or my grandparents, but I wasn't really raised to think that I was going to have the answer to any particular question necessarily, mm-hmm. but more that I could just be part, you know, be part of a greater effort and just chip away where I was needed, you know, sure. find a place where you'll be useful and do that. Um, mm-hmm. was kind of the, the motto of our, of our family. Um, so I had thought, given that given that kind of perspective i thought okay maybe doing something with biological control might be interesting and i had done some undergraduate you know work study work for uh some people who had done bio biocontrol at ubc um and so mm-hmm. i thought maybe that's what i would would focus on because it would be a, a quote-unquote useful job <laughs> i could just be a cog in this machine of like making sure that we can secure you know food and 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 livestock for for humanity Um, And then when I went to graduate school, uh, it really kind that was when it kind of hit me that you, as a graduate student, you really have to be passionate about your project. You really have to be willing to put in a lot of hours um, to get the results that you need. I don't mean a lot of hours, like you have to be chained to your death. I don't mean that at all. (laughs) But I mean, like you have to be willing to at least work 40 hours probably um, to get, to get some things done. And if your project is one that you don't find very interesting, that can be a real challenge, right? Like it's, it's optional to go to graduate school. Um, 
at least it was for me. I didn't have to go to graduate school. I could have gone mm -hmm. and worked as a bank teller, which was my other kind of job option that I had been considering. Um, but I chose to go to graduate school and I realized, oh, you know, entomopathogenic nematodes, which is what I was going to be working on, it really, it wasn't doing it for me, you know, to get me <laughs> excited. I felt a little bit of dread about my project. And um, and so I switched um, and, and, and went into a lab, um, Mike May's lab, to work on dragonflies. And from that point onwards, it clicked immediately. I knew this is what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't get enough of my project. I couldn't get enough of working on it. I was excited to talk to anyone, you know, my bus driver, driving me up and down the turnpike, anyone that would listen, I wanted to talk about my project. <laughs> and that's when I knew, I think I found the thing that I'm going to be good at. I think I'm, I found the thing that I could devote, you know, yeah. make a contribution, however small. But we started a book club and we've been doing uh, a book a month or sometimes a couple books simultaneously. And so I'm wondering if you have any book recommendations for people, um, whether it's just science related or more specifically related to insects. Oh, more well, there's a lot of good books out there for sure. Um, yeah. And uh, so I just recently have started reading this book. I don't know if you can see it. It's yeah. called Chasing Dragonflies by Cindy mm -hmm. Crosby. Um, and it's about kind of cultural history and natural Ooh. history of Odinates. Um, and I, I love these types of stories. So I find this, it's kind of highlights different dragonflies in each chapter. Um, and uh, there was a book from, by, this, by this person named Sorrow in 1953 that talked about folklore and dragonflies. Um, and this, this book, this new book, the Cindy Crosby book, kind of touches on some of those stories as well. Um, sure. And so if you like, you know, cultural significance of, of insects, that's a great book um, for sure. Um, I have, a, I mean, a lot of the books that I might recommend might actually be field guides. Uh, Dennis Paulson's Dragonflies of the East um, uh, is a great book. It's got a lot of specific information about each dragonfly as well as really big photos uh, mm -hmm. that can kind of help you uh, picture book, you know, <laughs> like just use yeah. the picture book style identification. Um, for understanding, you know, what you might have. Um, sure. And then, uh, oh, I should have looked at the name of this. And I don't, it's, it's escaping me. I've got it downstairs on my table, but I can email it to you. But okay. Ken Tennyson, who's this um, odinate biologist in the United States, he actually wrote a science fiction book about dragonflies, oh, where this neat. person goes back in time to the Carboniferous period, um, uh, Jurassic period, Cretaceous period, and he sees these giant dragonflies that we were talking about, or the proto-odonates, you know, oh, these cool. dragonflies, um, and a mystery happens. I won't tell you what happens in the Ooh. book, um, but that's also <laughs> a great book that has dragonflies kind of as like one of, the, or their close relatives, um, as one of the main protagonists and in, in interesting characters. Oh, neat. Oh, I bet I'd love that. Yeah. Anything with cool. time travel of any kind, I'm pretty much hooked. <laughs> so, If you cannot hear the passion and excitement in her voice as she talks about these things, um, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I just don't. You know nothing. Um, just kidding. Um, but for real, though, she she is um, astounding. And I, I'm really looking forward to putting out our whole episode on dragonflies and damselflies. I hope you are looking forward to it. Um, and again, frankly, if, if you're not automatically looking forward to it through the osmosis of the excitement um, that that was coming from from our conversation, then uh, again, I don't know what to tell you. You're you're wrong and you're weird. That's it. But again, I'm 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 just kidding. Please don't go.
So stay tuned for the uh, the full episode as well as a bunch of other materials and resources that are going to be coming out with this particular episode. Um, just a lot of related Dragonfly related things. Check out the episode notes for a few different links, including uh, links to the books that Dr. Ware recommended. And again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you are all well. I hope you are all hanging in there, avoiding the burnout, feeling good and happy and healthy. No matter if today was a good day or a bad day, guess what? Tomorrow is another day. And until then, peace out, Rainbow Trout. <laughs> <laughs>